think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Well, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 381 of Low Limit Football on this 26th of February, 2023. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, MLS makes a huge comeback with some amazing late winners on opening day. French captain Wendy Renard steps away from the French women's national team. How will France manage at the Women's World Cup when they've lost one of the best defenders in the world? The Women's World Cup starts in 144 days. And the round of 16 is set in the Europa League. While we look ahead at the second leg matches in the Champions League round of 16, we're going to do that and much more with our very special guest, Santi Bauza from Hand of Pod Podcast and Copa 90, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. What's going on, my man? I'm doing well, Joe. Doing well. Obviously, here we are about to end another month of, of crazy football. Obviously, we saw some crazy results over the last few days. And, you know, I'm excited to talk about it because certainly we did get a, a I guess we can use the word atomic bomb type of result in uh, in England a few days ago. Yes, yes, we did. And, uh, you know, if one thing I do want to mention here again, if, if you're if you're dying to get our initial reaction to that uh, that bomb. And I think you're referring to the Real Madrid um, five two over Liverpool, which we'll talk about in just a second. Um, you and I were very, very lucky to be a uh, co-host with Jason Davis on Sirius XM FC's uh, United States of Soccer this past Wednesday. If you have access to it, you can go to the Sirius XM app, and I believe it's even up on Apple uh, on on Apple Podcasts and, and other places. Um, but definitely go check that out. We had a great time and, and are very thankful and grateful to Jason, to Andy Snakowski, um, who's uh, one of the producers, uh, and to everybody at SiriusXM for having us on. And uh, you can get our initial reaction, but we'll, we're definitely going to give you more of it here um, as we move on. So again, thanks again. But before we jump into our opening thoughts and everything else, my friend, I have a trivia question for you. So if you are, all right, it. here it comes. So Victor Osimhen. Uh, Napoli striker has scored in eight straight Serie A games for Napoli. Um, so not for Napoli, but when was the last time a player 
scored eight goal goals in eight straight games for a Serie A team. Who I'm sorry, not when. Who was the last player to do that? I feel like I know this one. Okay. So I do. All right. Well, we're going to give you that answer at the end of the show. So opening thoughts uh, and opening thoughts are exactly uh, what we've been talking about. What's I mean, on everybody's mind round uh, round one of the round of 16 or leg one of the round of 16 uh, in the Champions League. Uh, we'll go back and give you all the results. Bayern Munich. Uh, this is going back a couple weeks ago. Bayern Munich one nil over PSG. AC Milan one nil over Tottenham Hotspur. Dortmund, uh, Borussia Dortmund, 1-0 over Chelsea. Benfica, 2-0 over Club Bruges. And then uh, the results that came just this past week. Real Madrid, 5-2 over Liverpool at Anfield. Napoli, 2-0 over Eintracht Frankfurt. Manchester City, 1-1 draw with RB Leipzig. And Internazionale di Milan uh, ties FC Porto, 1-0 at the San Siro. Let's talk about the bomb, right? Uh, let's talk about the big bombshell. That was the Real Madrid, 5-2 over Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool come out of this match, start out this match very, very, very brightly. Uh, you've got a beautiful, uh, you know, cheeky goal from Darwin Nunez, so, somebody that, you know, if needed a little boost in his um, confidence, this this was the kind of goal that would do it. Uh, I believe that goal was about three or four minutes into the match. And then you get a howler from Thibaut Courtois and Mo Salah right there to jump on it to uh, to capitalize. And within 15 minutes, Liverpool are up. Uh, 2-0 at Anfield against the champs, and then the wheels came off. And, and uh, you know, Napoli, I'm sorry, Real Madrid scored five straight goals. Uh, you got a howler out of Alisson, which uh, which led to, if I remember correctly, a Karim Benzema goal. I'm not positive of, of the goal score on that one. Um, you had a couple from Vinny Jr. You had a beautiful, beautiful run by Luka Modric, uh, I believe, on the fifth goal. And and Real Madrid just did Real Madrid Champions League things, and and you know at two at at, at the half this match was two two, um, and then all of a sudden you know Real Madrid score three more in the second half and totally run away with it. I think you and I can agree that this particular tie is completely done and dusted. Uh, going back to uh, the Bernabeu for the second leg, um, but what are your thoughts, man? What does this mean for Jurgen Klopp? What does this mean for Liverpool as they're constructed right now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really as perfectly put as you said. I think a, a great start from from Liverpool early on. Not the best game for goalkeepers, I must admit. You know, both Alisson and Courtois getting howlers or having you know performances that you wouldn't expect from two of the top goalkeepers in the world mm-hmm. to have. But uh, obviously, Alisson was the one that kind of got the the laughing stock of it, given the fact that they lost. But I think, um, yeah. Certainly, it's it's a case of kind of the the old guards continuing to be the old guard. You know, Real Madrid, of course, the reigning champions. You know, demonstrating why they are the reigning champions for for any team to go out and score five at Anfield. It's it's never been done in in Champions League history, and Real Madrid go and do it inside the entire second half. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's certainly a, a result that I think. In Real Madrid's case, I think we felt a bit skeptical about really what their chances was, especially given the fact how they played uh, in the um, in La Liga. You know, the fact that they're all the way back from you know they, they tied in the the Madrid derby yesterday as, at the time of recording. So, mm-hmm. should Barcelona win, then that would extend their lead even to more. I think right now it's up to to seven points, and that could be extended to eleven. So, sorry, to ten. So, I think it's it's a demonstration of a yeah maybe. The league is lost for Real Madrid, but certainly the Champions League is way in their hands as of now. And yeah, I mean, 
I think it, it really is demonstrated for Liverpool as well that I think it's really the end of an era because, you know, Jurgen Klopp has been a manager that's been dealing with this team for quite some time. You know, he's, he's usually had these kind of like seven-year itches, I think we like to always say. Mm. Uh, and so, again, I, I think it's just the end of the era because, you know, we're getting um, a team that's not performing well domestically in the in the, uh, in the Premier League. You have some issues about where ownership's going to be like. You don't know if... If Fenway Sports Group is going to sell, and what's going to happen with with people like uh, Tom Werner and and you know John Henry and all those people, um, so you don't know what could happen there. So yeah, I, I think you start you see two differentiating sides in how they are on the pitch mm-hmm. and off the pitch as well. Yeah, I think I think you're going to see a lot of moving parts come June and July at uh, Liverpool Football Club. I, I don't know if the changes will be for good. Uh, I, you know, I, again, the, everything is question mark at this point. Um, one of the things I said on XM is you've you've really seen a Liverpool side that has struggled to replace the intangibles that Sadio Mane uh, has brought to the table. Uh, you know, they've they've got plenty of talent. I said on the on the program as well that I thought Luis Diaz was going to be that guy, but uh, but obviously he's been injured, so you know not available to Liverpool. And I think I think they missed that spark, Roberto. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I think they do honestly. And again, it's it's so hard to play in the same style for so long. You need to get players that fit the mold, and it's hard for them to really do that. And yeah, I think it's it's now starting to to have the effects on on Liverpool right now. Yeah. For sure. Uh, one of the other ones I want to just touch on real quick is was the City Leipzig uh, result. Um, you know, Leipzig with a Guardiol second uh, second half goal uh, managed to draw one one. Uh, Riyad Mahrez uh, scoring in the first half for Manchester City. I know this match was in Germany. Obviously, the second leg is at the Etihad, coming back to Manchester uh, in a couple of weeks. But for me, you know. City dominated this game. They dominated every every statistical thing you could look at, I think, except for shots on goal. Um, to come away with a 1-1 draw, and I know that they're kind of looking at things as well with Arsenal kind of, you know, inching back towards the top of the table here and, and City not necessarily being able to catch them just yet. Uh, you know, are we looking at a similar situation for Manchester City and have they soured on Pep Guardiola as a head coach? Mm, I don't think so mm. because I, I think there's just there's a differentiating factor. I think you know this is still a team that again has just bought in a player like Erling Haaland, and maybe we haven't even seen the best of him yet of how how he's been playing. So mm. I wouldn't say it's been sour as of yet. Yes, I think the patience has definitely been very much um, out there. Like it's definitely been losing, especially given the fact that City has spent all this money for so long and they've never won anything from a European standpoint where they won everything domestically, I think you can see that kind of issue. But I think they are in a position where they, they need to just understand that maybe they still need to find the team that is best for them. And so I think from there is the only way that they can move on. I think they should beat Leipzig at, at, back home at the Etienne. I mean, I don't mm. I think, uh, barring a, a huge collapse from them, they should have enough. But... Mm-hmm. No, I don't think. I, I personally don't think it's it's sour as of yet. We'll see what happens. That's always my big, my always my big fear. What happens to a team like Man City when they're playing in like the semifinals in the latter stages, where Guardiola has been known to overthink? Will that happen again? Mm-hmm. We have to wait and see. Yeah, and, and again in this matchup, you know. Uh... Christopher Nkuku coming back off of injury that forced him to miss the World Cup. He did get limited minutes uh, in the second half in this match. 
And, uh, you know, so I would expect him to be a little healthier coming in a couple weeks time and, and maybe contributing a little more to this match. I don't know that the second leg is going to be as straightforward as many would think, um, given that Leipzig is definitely capable of scoring goals. But uh, but like you said, City, I think, should manage this 1-1 draw um, and, and really just going to play for 90 minutes and, and figure it out. Uh, one question that I'm probably going to give to Santi uh, in our interview, but then I want to I want to ask you and then give my thoughts. Um, Inter 1-0 over Porto. We have uh, Dortmund 1-0 over Chelsea. Uh, AC Milan 1-0 over Tottenham Hotspur. And Bayern Munich 1-0 over PSG. Um, second legs, um, for, for the most part, those were all home wins except for the Bayern win, which was a road win. So they're going to be coming home for that second leg. Of those four 1-0s, which, which one do you think is most likely to get turned over um, and the team that's currently down 1-0 uh, advance to the quarterfinals? I mean, it's it's so tough to say. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think if you look at it, and again, these teams are just you don't know what to expect from them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would think that PSG can do it. Again, they have to go away, but they definitely they definitely have the chance to to achieve that. And no Neymar, which which no might Neymar be a, that might one, be a yeah. blessing. So that's, that's, you know, exactly, it could be. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, Chelsea, you'd think that they need to get some sort of win out there for them to, to boost something up. And what a way, how good would it be for, for Graham Potter to finally, you know, kind mm. of ease off a bunch of his of his doubters by getting a result like that. Yeah. But back home, Tottenham, I mean, yeah, it's it's Antonio Conte, you know, and him not necessarily being very much lucky in European ties, especially as a Milan side that Let's be real. I mean, yeah, they they they've been kind of on a on a better boost over the last few weeks, but they've also have looked a bit down to myself. I don't know, Joe. I really don't. It's yeah. so tough to say. If if, you, if I had to if I had to choose, I, I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be Tottenham. I, okay. For some reason, I think. They have the better, and this is no disrespect to Porto as well, because I think Inter can definitely mess up too. Mm. But yeah, I just gotta go with Tottenham if I had to choose one of the four. You know, I was, I, I'm kind of leaning that way as well. I mean, yeah, you look at Inter Porto. If if Inter give you their A game, which they did not this weekend against Bologna, but if uh, if they do give you their A game, I think that they should be able to handle Porto. Um, you know, in the second leg. Uh, Dortmund right now are just a ridiculously good team and, and Chelsea are just a ridiculously bad team right now. And I think, unfortunately, they're just, you know, they're, they're two teams running in opposite directions. And I think Dortmund will definitely be able to go to Stanford Bridge and get a result there. So, you know, you look at PSG Bayern Munich. Um, we talked about the potential of, of benching Neymar. Now they won't even have to worry about that since he picked up the ankle injury. Um, that might be a blessing, like we said, for PSG because Neymar has been kind of underachieving, um, you know, and he underachieved in that particular 1-0 uh, loss to Bayern Munich. And then, you know, Tottenham Hotspur, again, a, a well-coached side, but Conte does not have the greatest of records in European football. Um, AC Milan, you know, AC Milan, everyone seems to forget, AC Milan have a similar mystique to what Real Madrid have, right? I mean, I believe, what, seven titles? Uh, they, they are... They are one of the European giants, and they, like you said, they're they've kind of stepped it up over the last few weeks. They've started to play a little better. Um, it, it's going to be tough to say can can they go and get a result? Um, you know, it, at White Hart Lane, we'll have to see. But uh, I think it's going to be one of those two. I think Tottenham is probably a little better positioned um, to do it, but I, I I really think PSG can throw that monkey wrench in there 
Um, and, and, you know, when Messi does messy things, it's, and, and you've also got Kylian Mbappe. The, the question is going to be the defense, right? Uh, you know, does Donnarumma have a howler, which he's, he's prone to every now and again? Uh, Marquinhos, Marquinhos and Sergio Ramos, given all the, all the, you know, experience, but at the same time, that experience comes with age. And are they going to be able to handle 90 minutes of, you know, what, what Bayern can bring to them? That's going to be tough to see. So I think it's going to be one of those two if anybody overturns it. And I'm leaning more towards Tottenham Hotspur, given the uh, the strength of the defense uh, at Bayern Munich between Opamecano and uh, and Delict. But we'll have to see. There's going to be uh, interesting ties coming up in the next couple of weeks. So let's table our discussion there for the uh, Champions League now that you're all caught up and get our guest in here. Um, earlier, we mm-hmm. were joined by Santi Bauza, uh, who is from uh, Hand of Pod podcast and Copa 90. We got to continue our Champions League discussion as well as talk about uh, Chelsea Football Club and, and kind of what's going on there uh, recently. So without further ado, the Santi Bauza interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football from Hand of Pod podcast, Santi Bauza. Santi, welcome back to the show. It is always a pleasure to have you on. I want to open up with uh, you know, a continuation of the discussion of the Champions League that we're having here. Uh, with the results that we had this week, there were a couple of, I guess, surprising ones in the Real Madrid 5-2 victory over Liverpool, especially where Liverpool jumped out to a 2-0 lead in that one within 15 minutes. And then the RB Leipzig uh, 1-1 draw with Manchester City. Um, City, of course, one of the big, big favorites to win this tournament. Uh, what was Which of those two results was more surprising to you? And if neither of those, if there was one that was even more surprising than that, go ahead and tell us. Well, first off, I uh, think you wasn't here for having me. It's always a pleasure. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like this uh, the, this batch uh, this this batch of Champions League games has been. Uh, I feel like all of the like uh, top level like blockbuster games have developed have sorry developed not have the have delivered in the sense that they were as uh, as big and as flashy and as. Uh, exciting as they were expected to be perhaps uh and probably not more so than that uh real madrid liverpool game uh but i can't exactly call it surprising considering you know the how both teams were heading into the game you know even if uh, real madrid are in kind of a rut by their own standards their own hugely um hugely demanding standards uh, I mean, you you see how Liverpool have been uh, performing in the Premier League. The fact that they're languishing in mid-table, they're struggling to even uh, make the European spots, let alone the Champions League spots. And you could feel that uh, Real Madrid were favourites uh, by far to win the game. And even if they went they went two 0 down uh, in the in the early stages of the game. You know, with Real Madrid and the Champions League, you always feel like somehow they will find a way to to get the win. And that's exactly what they did. And they did it in an emphatic fashion because this Liverpool side, is just it doesn't have the legs that he used to have. Uh, and that, that's clearly affecting them mentally as well. I mean, they don't have the, the same uh, mental strength that they have in the, game, in the past. So I would say that certainly the... The Leipzig-Manchester City game was a lot more surprising to me because uh, we were looking at a team that even if they had a, a couple, you know, miss, missteps uh, along the way that uh, Nottingham Forest draw comes to mind, they're still in some incredible form in the Premier League. I mean, they're just going head-to-head uh, to, to win another title. Uh, they are right there in the in the mix for, for that. 
while RB Leipzig have been inconsistent in the Bundesliga as well, so for them to get the results and for Manchester City also to, you know, um, drop a little their intensity in the second half, what they did have to not make a single change throughout the 90 minutes, which is something, even if it's it's certainly surprising, but at the same time it's very much Guardiola, I think that was Certainly, one of the more shocking results uh, of the of this batch of you know uh, first legs. Having said that, I would expect City to turn it around and to you know get a decent win at home. I feel like uh, that's got to be a bridge too far for for Leipzig. And Sansi, you know, looking at Manchester City again, uh, you wrote an interesting article the other day about the relationship between Julian Alvarez and Pep Guardiola. You know, someone that obviously won the World Cup with Argentina. And there was an interesting set that said that, you know, uh, when you wrote this article that ever since he came back from the World Cup, he was more, he was a sub more times than a starter, I think like six times in, in against four. So it's interesting to see what this happens, what's going to happen to someone like, and of course we are speaking on the day after he did score against uh, Bournemouth and, and started the game. So, yeah, I just want your thoughts on, like, how have you assessed so far his season as a whole I mean yeah obviously it's always going to be difficult to be in the spotlight as a as a top you know forward when you've got someone like Erling Haaland banging all the goals for Manchester City but you know I'm just curious about your thoughts in regards to someone that is obviously very much praised by uh, Pep Guardiola in his you know his interviews and whatnot but perhaps isn't showing that kind of relationship by giving him the opportunities on the pitch. You know, I was uh, speaking to a friend the other day about this exact issue, and uh, he told me that he saw something similar to what uh, Pep was doing with uh, Phil Foden in his first few uh, years of his career when he was, like, wildly, you know, making this, like, wild remarks about him being, you know, one of the best players he's ever managed, you know, for someone who who had been managing Lionel Messi for four seasons. That's, you know, something a little bit of a stretch, you know to say about uh, a guy who was barely even playing and he was saying all this stuff while at the same time he was giving like pretty much, you know, the the final minutes of games, if if ever. And then as the years went by, he began, you know, uh, earning more of a starring role in the team. Now I think with with the emergence of Jack Rillish as, you know, a decent option uh, as a starter for once uh, and of course the ridiculous investment they did on him as well. That meant that Foden has, you know, lost a little bit more, uh, uh, lost his place a little bit. But I feel like we are seeing something similar in Julian Alvarez. But there's a catch in the sense that, you know, when the season started, we never quite expected Julian Alvarez uh, to be, you know, a starter. We never, we didn't expect him to, you know, uh, play a lot of minutes uh, just because, he was arriving in the same season that Erling Haaland was, and uh, that's exactly what happened in the first uh, few months of the season. But then Julian Alvarez won the World Cup and scored four goals at the World Cup, and that changed expectations for sure. And now you start thinking that, like, um, you know, this is this guy who is a starter for Argentina, for an Argentina team that won the biggest trophy in football. And he's barely scraping for minutes at uh, at an elite club like Manchester City. There, are, of course, a lot of Argentina fans who are understandably, you know, pissed at this. You know, they're um, impatient uh, with the situation. They want Julian to move away to uh, to get a go at another club. 
I feel like, uh, I mean, we cannot lose uh, that uh, early, I feel like, that early expectation that uh, that isn't how things were supposed to turn out from the start, you know. I mean, he's still really young. He's only had his first six months outside of Argentina, even if he was brilliant when playing for River Plate. And he has scored a decent amount of goals uh, in the few minutes that he's been given. Actually, he's scored in every competition that Manchester City have played in, something that not even Erling Haaland can say. But, uh, I mean... But I mean, when you consider that, you also have to consider, you know, Pep Guardiola's uh, history with centre forwards and how uh, he's always had something of a funny kind of uh, relationship with a uh, like traditional centre forwards. Like he he has never really committed uh, to those throughout his career. You can see that, you know, with a. Uh, with uh, Samuel Eto'o and uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic at Barcelona, most notably, and with Sergio Aguero at Manchester City, even where in the first few uh, months or even years of uh, of his career at Manchester City, he wanted to phase him out. And that's why Gabriel Jesus was brought in. And then Aguero was so good that he had no choice but to keep uh, using him. And then he, he kept scoring like 20, 25 goals a season. Uh, I feel like that could happen with the Holland, but at the same time, I feel like Holland is such a ridiculous footballer. He, I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure that's gonna last this long at Manchester City, just because he will try. He will be so hungry to try something new that uh, he might as well leave for somewhere, somewhere like you know Real Madrid or something like that. So, in that sense, Julian Alvarez might have a bit more of a long-term future than Holland, which is crazy to think right now that he scored you know 26 27 goals in the Premier League but uh, I don't I don't think it's so that crazy to think about but uh well yeah I mean this it's still very early stages of uh, Julian Reyes career and Julian Reyes as much as the city's career so we'll just have to wait and see but I feel that we have to be patient with him 100% I think we do have to be patient on someone who is again still so young and just you know just went into Europe just a couple of months ago. So we have to have a realization of that. Someone who I think a lot of fans are really feeling impatient about is Graham Potter. You know, as we speak right now, after their 2-0 loss to Tottenham, you know, currently still mid-table, you know, they're still in a position to play in the Champions League. Of course, we have to wait and see what happens there against Borussia Dortmund. But, you know, this is a side that haven't won a game since in over a month. I think, you know, checking the stat today that the last time they won two in a row was back in October. So it's been Oof. really, yeah, it's been really difficult for Chelsea so far, especially when they spent all that amount of money. Obviously, the, the kind of turmoil that's kind of happened ever since the ownership has happened, because you could say that. I mean, really, they haven't really attributed for anything this season, especially if they don't win anything. But Having said that, is there any way that Chelsea can turn around at least this season, considering that, you know, this could be a, a season where, you know, it might be without Graham Potter, it might be without European competition as a whole, and it could be with some players who maybe have come into the Chelsea side with the ambition to win trophies, now are kind of stuck in a position that they might not win anything. And, yeah, I mean, where, where, do, where do they go from here, Sadi? I know it's a lot to really go for, but where do Chelsea go from here now? I mean, it's a it's a funny question because I mean you have to factor in the fact that uh, Graham Potter is kind of like in an untenable uh, in an untenable situation right now in the sense that um, he was clearly brought in by by Bowley for a long term project in a club where 
there's never been a long-term project, probably in their entire history or something, or in their entire like modern history. This is not something Chelsea fans have been accustomed to to see to see through. I mean, even their most successful manager ever has only had since of like three years at a time before completely, you know, uh, b- being burnt out and uh, being shown the door at the earliest uh, sign of failure. So it feels like uh, Bowley tried to to in- instill a culture change, culture change at Chelsea, where in a club where the culture is so so entrenched and so strong that you need immediate success to justify it and uh, the way he he wants things to the way he's doing things the way he's uh, i mean it's it's still a flawed kind of culture change you know the those signings though that massive array of signings is not helping Potter either the fact that he hasn't had a a proper preseason to you know figure out what exactly does he want from the squad. I don't, I don't know if he's uh, entirely, you know, in accordance with all the signings that, that have arrived at Chelsea recently, because you can tell that you can tell it by in the way that he uses certain players. Uh, this is still a squad that's uh, mostly built in the image of, uh, of Thomas Tuchel. And, uh, and you can, you can see it in his decisions that sometimes he's trying to, you know, to, uh, protect some players from criticism and from you know being overexposed rather than uh, implementing the stuff that has worked so well for him at Brighton uh, in the way he handles Modric, in the way he handles uh, Enzo Fernandez, in the way he handles uh, Joao Felix, in the way he handles uh, even Norde Mukiele and Benoit Badiashil. Um It's too much uh, for someone who is also expected to win immediately and for whom, uh, you know, a season like the Chelsea are having right now is an abject failure because that's the club Chelsea are and they, that's the club Chelsea have been for the last 20 years, a club that uh, craves immediate success. Having said that, I think that uh, sacking uh, Graham Potter at this point would be also an admission of failure, an admission from the owners that this was the wrong thing to do, that even Potter was the wrong man for the job because Chelsea uh, are a club with such specific, you know, uh, idiosyncrasies in a way that uh, they need a certain kind of uh, figure, a certain kind of authoritarian kind of uh, leader for a manager who uh, can, you know, have a tight grip on the dressing room, not someone as probably as paternalistic as him. At least if you want to, you know, be as immediately successful as Chelsea demand you to be. So if you're really committed to, you know, carrying out this culture change and, uh, you know, really doing what you feel you should do to make Chelsea successful in the long run, you should just uh, try to do as much as you can with the season, even if, uh, you know, that could mean you you might finish outside the European stages and stick around with Potter and give him a proper preseason and give him uh, a proper uh, three-month transfer window to figure out exactly what he wants from his squad because otherwise it would be, you know, uh, it would have been all in vain to actually, you know, sack Tuchel right after the, the transfer market, hire this guy and try to, you know, instill him as this long-term manager for your club. That's kind of a funny situation Chelsea are in, in the in the way that they demand immediate success, but at the same time you've already committed to this. 
to what you're doing right now. Uh, I mean, it's not like Chelsea will have any, you know, financial problems if they sack, uh, if they sack Potts or anything. Maybe if they don't, uh, you know, start playing European football regularly, then the problems might arrive. They still, you know, keep investing the insane amounts of money they're investing. But, uh, but yeah, uh, it's uh, it's kind of a crossroads right now, and I feel like uh, there's no easy way out. So I'd like to jump in here because, I mean, obviously with Chelsea, I, I wanted to close with a question, and it does involve Chelsea Football Club, going back to the Champions League. Chelsea currently are down 1-0 to Borussia Dortmund going into the second leg. There are actually, I believe, four uh, 1-0 uh, results at the moment. Inter 1-0 over Porto uh, in the first leg. We talked about Dortmund-Chelsea. AC Milan 1-0 over Tottenham in the first leg. And then Bayern Munich uh, 1-0 over PSG going back to uh, Munich for the second leg. Santi, of those particular matchups, which team do you feel is um, best positioned to possibly overcome the 1-0 and, and maybe uh, get a result on their second leg and then advance into the uh, quarterfinals? I mean, the fact that they're playing home uh, should be, on paper, uh, a contributing factor to, to you know Chelsea actually being able to turn it around. But... Uh, I mean, the relationship between the fan base and Potter is also, you know, a big issue at the club. I and mean, it's it's become so toxic to the point where Potter has even admitted that his own kids have been threatened, have been sent death threats because of the fact that this club is, uh, is not uh, performing as well as it should. So I can't quite say, I can't quite put my finger on whether playing at Stamford Bridge will be a benefit or not. But at this point, I mean... The, the right answer, I feel, is uh, if Potter begins to be more bold in his uh, in his choice his choices and uh, actually give a give an opportunity to the players he actually wants to you know be to have performing in the long run and uh, trying to implement something that was more akin to what he was doing at Brighton instead of you know making the these understandable. Uh, kind of political choices uh, with this uh, squad selection uh, to appease certain dressing room personalities, which, I mean, it's always been an issue at Chelsea. Um, the thing is that uh, Borussia Dortmund are also, you know, such a, one of the most informed teams in Europe. Uh, I think I feel like, uh, I don't know if I'm correct in saying that they haven't lost a single game since the World Cup returned or that they... I don't know if they even won every single game since the World Cup return or something like that. But, yeah, I mean, they're in incredible form right now. But, uh, I mean, I feel like also the players can tell when they're playing uh, under immense pressure, uh, given the situation Chelsea are in and given that, given, uh, sorry, I'm saying given too many times, uh, considering the the Premier League uh, situation right now, whether they're so far away from European spots, the clearest shot they have at competing in the Champions League next season if they win it. Uh, so that's going to be a huge weight on their shoulders, uh, which make which will certainly make things even more difficult than they already are. So, I mean, of course, it, you can you can always say, and it's and it's true after all that uh, they do have the. The better squad than Borussia Dortmund, but they don't have the cohesion like at all because of all the things we've been talking about. You know how uh, the approach has been so scattergun 
in assembling the squad, you have all these different types of players who don't exactly fit with one another. Uh, so, I mean, to be completely honest, uh, even if on paper they should beat them, they're in this uh, sort of headspace and, uh, you know, un- under such pressure that I don't really see Chelsea beating Borussia Dortmund, even Stamford Bridge. It's going to be really difficult for them. Mm-hmm. And, and just to, to reiterate or to pound your, uh, your fact home, Borussia Dortmund, uh, the last competitive match that they lost was on November 11th to Borussia Mönchengladbach 4-2. So they currently lead the Bundesliga. Uh, there was a loss to the Vietnamese national team uh, on November 30th, which would have been during the World Cup. And uh, they did lose on December 10th to Fiorentina in a friendly. Uh, that would also be during the World Cup. So you, you are absolutely correct that they have not lost since returning from the World Cup. Not even drawn. They're all uh, they're all wins. So well, yeah. So yeah. Amazing, amazing form. So, uh, Santi, thank you. Thank you again for joining us on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you. And we look forward to having you back again very, very soon. Well, thank you very, very much for the invitation once again. And special thanks again to Santi Bauza for joining us on the show. Roberto, we've got matches every, well, not every day this week, but close to every day this week. We've got a, a couple of extras listed here because we don't have any Champions League. We don't have Europa League this week. So uh, leagues are getting some midweek action in. And I'm going to start out with Tuesday with the um, Derby della Mole. We've got Juve Torino at 2.45 p.m. And then on Wednesday, we have Arsenal Everton at 2.45 p.m. Fast forward to Friday and the informed Borussia Dortmund take on RB Leipzig at 2.30 p.m. Saturday in the French League, we have Lens and Lille at 11 a.m., followed by Atletico Madrid and Sevilla at 3 p.m. And then on Sunday, we've got Liverpool Man United at 11.30 a.m. And we're going to close out the weekend with Roma Juve, 2.45 p.m. Earlier, my friend, I gave you a trivia question about goal scoring in Italy. So I'd like to lay it on you again, if you don't mind. Go for it. All right. So... Victor Ossiman has scored in eight straight games in the Serie A for Napoli. Who was the last player to score in eight straight games in the Serie A? I feel like I should know this one because I think it's 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 been appearing in a bunch of like different like tweets and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's not Cristiano Ronaldo, is it? It is Cristiano Ronaldo who did it with Juventus. Um, so that is uh, the, the record right now that Victor Ossiman has tied. Scoring in eight straight matches. Well, uh, well done, my friend. So, without any further uh, items on the plan, let's uh, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So, for episode three eighty one of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Santi Bauza for joining us on the show. Next week, we will look ahead to the second round matches of the Champions League and Europa League as well. Um, as well as give you all the action that's come down the uh, the top five leagues in Europe and MLS as well. So, for episode 381 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. <laughs>